welcome to episode 165 of the Canadian Pepper Podcast, recorded June 12th, 2022. My name is Ian. I'm a wannabe lumberjack with an electric chainsaw on Vancouver Island. I apologize to Eric. Uh, he got a little upset with us for disclosing he was at the furry convention last week. So I got to be honest, that was a bit of a, I was trying to, you know, let him save some face. So I was trying to make him seem a little more edgy than he really was. Turns out he was actually at a Dungeons and Dragons conference. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's easy to get those two things confused. A lot of well, basically the same and, thing, right? And he tells yeah. me he's going to have enough hit points to finish up, and he should be back by next week. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, including search and rescue technician, uh, security expert, and overall safety nerd. I'm Gavin. I'm an instructor with Ragnarok Tactical, a fellow podcaster on the other CPP, which is the original CPP, but stay tuned for maybe a third CPP. I don't know. And volunteer search and rescue. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, general overall handyman, and weather nerd. <laughs> If you want to help support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the Tactical Velcro patch available at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We also want your feedback, good or bad, or just if there's a topic you want us to cover. You can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, we have some uh, hard-to-find content for you this episode. It's the best one in a while. (laughs) Struggling on that one. Yeah, yeah, what can you do, right? Eric's not here. I'm I'm lost. Anyway, we're going to start off with some uh, recent news, update our personal preps, then we're going to get into the main topic, which is uh, search and rescue operations. So news time. Uh, I put in a couple of rather topical uh, news stories tonight, both uh, both from Ontario. Uh, one is a good news story where a missing person was quickly located in probably the most common way that it happens. Police put out an appeal for information, and the person who was missing realized that they were being looked for and called it. Well, that's always good when you can find yourself, yeah. Well, actually, that, that, how does that happen exactly? Like, does somebody like expect him somewhere and he just didn't show or something? Or like, how does somebody he, become lost? Um, it, I mean, for uh, for a million different reasons, it could be that somebody left a note that was never found, or somebody sent a text message that was never delivered, or somebody just plum forgot to call in and say, "I'm going to take off for the weekend and I'll be back." Uh, yeah. Things like that happen on a pretty regular basis. It will also happen where, um, especially with teenagers, um, they say they're going to one friend's house, they end up at another friend's house. Uh, so when you know mom and dad call the friend where they're supposed to be they're not there nobody knows where they are things get a little panicky um, that happens less and less now that everybody has a cell phone but um, that used to happen a lot at least you know when I was a kid anyways that happened a lot uh, it was a pretty yeah. regular occurrence yeah everyone thinks you're at a friend's place when really you're dying in a ditch somewhere because you're at a bush party yeah I, or just you know at another friend's house yeah <laughs> that you're not uh, supposed yeah. to be yeah Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Usually, usually somewhere where you're not supposed to be. But yeah, that that yeah. those kinds of things happen all the time. Or um, you know, somebody's flight gets canceled and they forget to communicate that they're mm-hmm. going to be a few hours delayed, and all of a sudden somebody panics. Or uh, alcohol is involved. I don't know what. Kind or of generally, alcohol is involved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so that is, you know, that was kind of our good. New, that was my good news story on search and rescue. Uh, the flip side of that. Um, is uh, is one out of Ottawa where there's a, uh, a 15 year old boy missing. This is from uh, uh, six days ago. Um, he's a Hamilton teen, but he was last seen in Ottawa. 
uh, and they think he's still there. And one of the one of the challenges with that is when you don't, uh, when it's somebody who's not local, um, they tend not to know as many people. They tend not to have familiarity with the area. Um, they're more likely to remain lost uh, because they're out of their their natural habitat. Whereas somebody who's local, you can generally pick up on their habits pretty readily. You can, uh, you know, where kind of approximately where they're going to be and when they're going to be there. Uh, when they're out of their element, uh, they become a lot harder to track down if they don't want to be found. Fair enough. Uh, as for myself, I've got a, a new story from uh, Michigan County, which I'm assuming is in Michigan. Um, they decided to put an announcement they're going to stop responding to some 911 calls. They're basically doing a 911 triage now. Uh, whether or not they're actually going to send an officer on scene when you call 911 because they've blown through their gas budget. Sounds right. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And I guess if yeah. somebody's got a cat in a tree, it's like, I guess the, you know, Felix is going to have to find his own way out. And Yeah, he found his way up there. He can find his way down. Yeah, yeah I guess that's it. So. So, listen, all, all, almost all emergencies are self-resolving on a long enough timeline. You know, so it, it becomes not an emergency after after you know a, a specific you know after a after a series of events. But uh, it, I honestly don't have the the biggest problem with this. Um, I know in uh, you know in Ontario, police have a requirement to attend every time they're called, um, even if it's just a BS like neighbor complaint or noise complaint. Which um, is stupid. It is right. So I'm thinking that this is, you know, again, this this might this might be a um, this might be an opportunity to take a good hard look at where we actually allocate our human resources, as opposed to uh, simply a blanket uh, a blanket response because we have to. Well, so I take this, you know, take and I, 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 yes, I'm I'm kind of the optimist. I tend to I tend to look for the best in every situation, but see me being the the half glass or glass half empty guy. I'm thinking this is like halfway to the next step where the the cops go on door to door and say, you know, if you want us to respond to nine one one calls, you should really, you know, donate some gas money to us. Yeah, or <laughs> you know, or we might not be able to make dial, dial the time. real emergency number nine one two. Yeah, exactly. That's so it's a real nice place you got here. It'd be a real shame if something were to uh, happen to it, eh? Maybe be interested in maybe be interested in taking out an insurance policy fulfilled by yeah. us, and then you have adequate protection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would, so it's would just you like to that... buy a support the blue sticker for the back of your car, sir? Yes, hundred dollars <laughs> a week. Only ten thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah. You know, considering my my previous employment, uh, I'm actually surprised that they don't triage their nine one one calls. We we did for at least the last several years that uh, that I was there, and um, we don't respond to all nine one one calls. Um, if it's clearly and definitely not an emergency, you may get a phone call or you may be just told to call back on the non-emergency line and and not be tying up a 911 line. So okay. um, I'm, I'm surprised more than do don't do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, on a maybe more lighthearted news, uh, we've all hit our breaking point at certain points along this, this last couple of years. I think I just hit mine because... Um, the Sriracha hot sauce company from uh, Haifong Foods there down in California has just announced that they're going to have to halt production. Uh, Guys, as I, a good prepper, though, you should have stocked up on this. I did. And uh, luckily, uh, there's still a few bottles left at the superstore. I'll be heading there tomorrow to finish it off. But yeah, they actually, because I guess the crop failures, uh, bad weather, and lack of fertilizer and or um, manpower, they're 
the had a failed crop for the spring here. They're not anticipating enough to have summer taken care of, so they figure for at least three to six months are going to be shut down. So Rooster Brand uh, hot sauce offline. Oh, Guys, I I'm willing to put up with a lot. I I think I think yeah. I I've been pretty tolerant through the last two years and and you know understanding that things happen and this is why we prepare. I am not willing to accept this as a new reality. These conditions. I don't I don't <laughs> wish to live in a world where sriracha is not readily available. Yeah. This is this is like this is DEFCON two for me. This is this is not well, good. And I didn't realize they are the largest hot sauce maker. Is it in North America or the world? In the world. Uh, I think it's the world actually. Yeah, it's I think the world. It, yeah. I was like, whoa, uh, she is kind of a big deal. So So we, anyway. we have we, we have this um there's this this um, barbecue mustard or this bar yeah barbecue mustard that French's makes, and we discovered that it was going to be discontinued by the local superstore. We always bought it, you know, two or three bottles at a time. Uh, so we went on uh, went on Amazon and found a case of it for like eighty some odd cents a bottle. By the time everything was said and done, so we ordered two. Uh, I've done the same thing with sriracha. We <laughs> got as much in as we possibly could because, well, if other people can hoard toilet paper, I can ho I can hoard hot sauce. And, uh, you gotta watch it though, because you know who else is a fan of hot sauce. It, who, who's that? Uh, Hillary is a big fan of hot sauce. Okay, she's she's pulled it out of her purse during interviews and things like that. And I mean, if you know what's happened with anyone that knows anything that might lead to her being arrested, just imagine what happens when you're the last one on the planet with hot sauce. I'm just saying, come, or you're responsible for the the production halting. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I'm just giving you fair warning. Come, come and take it. <laughs> Jeff, what do you and got? I've got a, Sorry, I got a little emotional there. <laughs> and I've got a couple of quick ones. Um, should not be a shock to absolutely anybody that inflation just keeps on trucking. Uh, it's a U.S. article, but I mean, the May inflation numbers, shockingly, were higher than expected. Uh, their CPI... Uh, I think, which is the same thing. Um, we have sort of the same thing here. I can't remember the name, what we call it, but price index or something. Is that a 40-year high? Um, it's never been higher since 1981. I'm shocked. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm so, shocked to hear that. Yeah. Is anybody else shocked? Whoever would have guessed. Astounded. Overspending for two years straight. Yeah. And they're Weird. still spending. Blown away. Um, the other, the other one that also is totally of no shock to anybody is the price of gas. Uh, it continues to rise to record levels. Um, Saturday, gas prices in Toronto were two fifteen point nine a liter. Uh, Montreal and Quebec City were two twenty four point nine. Thanks, Trudeau. Well, I mean, the gas yeah. price is one of those things where, like, it costs money to transport the gas. And if the gas price goes up, it makes the transportation of the gas go up, which then means getting it there. So it's like this feedback loop. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. And exactly, also really exactly. great for business if you're in the gas industry. Yeah. Yeah. Not, and, not and, so much if you sell gas powered products, though, because everyone is looking for battery stuff. Yeah. And whether that's the way the government wants to, because for whatever reason, Trudeau has just thrown his line in the sand and he absolutely is not interested in giving any kind of a rebate at all for the carbon tax or anything. A lot of the provinces are, are cutting back. Uh, Ontario is supposed to do it for the month of July. A couple other ones are doing it. 
Trudeau has zero interest in doing anything to uh, to help us out. Of course not. And why would he? Doesn't bother well, him at all. Yeah, because if you keep buying the gas, you're going to get more tax revenue for the, the government. If you don't buy the gas, and he's beating his green targets. It's win win. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's exactly what it is. Um, so Denny put in the in the chat there that he's paying five twenty a gallon uh, for gas, which is awful, and I'm really sorry to hear that for you, Denny. Uh, just to just to do the conversion, when we're paying two dollars and fifteen cents a liter, that works out to eight dollars and thirteen cents a gallon. That's without the exchange rate. So in practical terms, we're paying about uh, six twenty a gallon. Yeah, about yeah, about six about six twenty a gallon, six seventy five a gallon. Yeah. yeah. So I feel I feel your pain. Um, I, I don't sympathize because we have it worse. Also, but but let's not forget, guys. We have really really nice roads and big hospitals. Yeah, that you can't access because of COVID. But we have really big hospitals. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't say efficient or good hospitals. Just I didn't yeah. say that. I said big. the building yeah. itself is really nice. <laughs> Enormous. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, uh, moving on to what we've done lately for preps. I did a little bit of food prep. I continued to work on my uh, firewood, and I did my monthly generator tests this week, and that was it for me. Right on. Uh, I think great minds think alike there. Same thing. I've been spending a lot of time just doing the wood stacking for next year. Uh, where I mentioned the electric chainsaw before, I think we'd mentioned that a, maybe 20 episodes ago about the whole electric uh, chainsaw for the OPSEC purposes and everything else. I actually got a, a decent used Husqvarna electric chainsaw, and just for, like, uh, delibbing stuff that's coming off the hillside there for where we knocked down the trees this winter. And instead of having to fire up the old gas powered one, it is a plug-in one. It's not battery powered, but it's just, it's just nice to be able to like, just, you know, turn it off for three seconds and turn it off and leave it. Don't have to worry about it warming up or anything else. So that's been actually uh, a bit of a work saver with the, uh, the wood stacking for the year. Did a bit of a redo with the bug out bag, just trying to change out the backpack and update the food that was inside and make it more seasonally appropriate and all that other stuff. Interestingly enough, did a feed run for the chickens and no chicken food available on the island. So hmm. our regular chicken food. Does has, it all come from food distribution centers in the U.S.? It actually comes from Abbotsford, uh, where the, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's Otter Feeds uh, is like the largest feed producer out here. Anyway, um, they had an, uh, a recall on all the, all the organic feed. So I was even willing to spend money on the organic feed, but unfortunately, no, that's all recalled. Our regular feed is offline and uh, they don't know why the truck just showed up empty one day and nobody knows why. So the island is dry of food and um, yeah, they don't have any alternatives. Although I heard recently that duck and pig feed is kind of the same thing um, as chicken feed, just different packaging. So you're going to see if I can track down some of that. So other than that, uh, I had to do a bit of a uh, fix on the wood splitter because the pull cord uh, tore open on me. So I think Scott had mentioned that, or maybe you, Jeff, would have buying a spool of uh, starter cord. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. I uh, ordered one on AliExpress because I went to the local chainsaw place and I got like a, a two short piece of starter cord for like six bucks or something. It was crazy. Anyway, so I just uh, got a couple pieces for the meantime, but I got a spool on order. So that's pretty much it. Now, our is this seems like a dumb question to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Is uh, is all starter cord the same diameter? No, well, Gavin will clear uh, confirm no. it with me. But yeah, I've got I ordered I ordered three point five, four, five, and six millimeter cords because I got chainsaws and splitters and generators that all have different size cords. Yeah, okay. 
And, yeah, uh, I mean, you can kind of get away with, like, as long as the the strength of the cord is enough, it doesn't really matter too much. But it's usually, like, the knot that you need to make needs to fit in the little slot that it goes in and not come out of that. So you uh, want something thick enough. And the uh, yeah. other length is the big thing, too. So you need 1.3 yeah. meters as a minimum uh, for, like, the splitter. Um, I think he sold me a one meter piece, so it's just like you, you know you kind of <laughs> you're stopping short when you're trying to start. It's like ow, eh, yeah, short now. So, and you may need that just that extra quarter revolution just to finally kick it over sometimes. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So yeah, size does matter. Yeah, it turns out sometimes I've heard yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I um I've done very little of anything. Um, I think we talked about it on last week's episode. I managed to damaged my ankle pretty badly. Um, so with the help of some family and friends, and thanks to all of you, I love you all and am forever in your debt. Uh, we got our new garden planted. So we just assembled our garden from last year, moved it over so that it made a little bit more logical sense in our yard uh, after all the construction. And uh, finally got our garden planted for the year. We got our, uh, we put in our potatoes a couple of weeks ago, and then we did our veggies and herbs this week. And I still have uh, cucumber and zucchini left to plant. Um, but I do start rehabbing my damaged ankle this week coming, and hopefully I'll be back up and uh, back up and walking around unassisted come uh, come the end of the week, week after hopefully. So that's about where I am. So I I cycled some gas, which made me cry because <laughs> the stuff I was putting in the car was a lot cheaper than the stuff that was going into the tank. I, uh, I volunteered and helped out uh, at one of the events for National Range Day. So got to, you know, network with some like-minded people and hopefully get some new uh, gun owners on board, which will hopefully in time make the laws in our country more palatable. Uh, I also bought some guns. Um, I also helped uh, did, build... Did you uh, buy them on CGN? No, uh, oh. straight from the store. Straight from the store. And I Sorry, Kyle. I tried. Get them... Lord knows when. Um, and then, you know, I it, this was a little while ago, but like helped a friend rebuild his deck and then also uh, helped a friend roof a building, like a shop that they were doing. So got some experience doing some things that I don't really do in my every day-to-day life. So. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, probably right now with the, uh, probably right now with the things uh, with buying a handgun or restricted uh, firearm right now, is that if a store does it, they can they don't need you don't need to talk to anybody, the the Canadian Firearm Center or anything else. So they can just run it through the business system and then whenever the you know provincial firearms office gets around to transferring it, which is like three months in Ontario or something right now, you'll eventually get it. Whereas if you right now if you want to do it person to person, like on CGN, uh, you have to phone the uh, Canadian Firearms Center, both of you, and right now it's like people are waiting three and four hours to get through and they can't get through, they just get hung up on. Oof. So you're way better off to just buy it from a retailer right now, despite all the, the panic buying going on. So I'm in the same boat as Gavin. I'm just waiting. I got a transfer reference yeah. from the the, sto- the store, but who knows when it'll actually get fulfilled. So Yeah. I haven't got nothing yet. But I don't expect to. Like yeah. my last transfer at the beginning of the the pandemic took like six months. So I imagine this one will be a little bit longer, seeing as there is a year's worth of guns sold in like a week and change so yeah i mean we were we were actually averaging about a day for a transfer out here uh but it's already been like a week plus and i'm like oh this is unusual 
but I guess it's nothing compared to what you guys have been dealing with. So it's like, okay, I can, I can live with that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I guess time to move on to the main topic. So why are we talking about this? First off, I guess we did the episode on benefits of joining a search and rescue with you last time, Gavin, right? Yeah. So I guess it's time to talk about what happens when actually somebody goes missing and what skills you employ and everything else. So I guess uh, what happens when somebody phones in a missing person? Who should they call? They always start with by calling 911. Uh, yeah. In Ontario, anyways, the OPP have the mandate to find missing people. Uh, they delegate that to the municipal forces wherever they exist. So if it's um, Toronto or Mississauga, Peel Region, Durham Region, whatever, London, St. Thomas, right? They'll all have their own uh, their own in-city protocols. Um, and within that, um, they will usually call on trained volunteers, search and rescue teams, to expand to expand their eyes, their expand their eyes and ears and their capabilities. Um, so most of the, the police are generally in charge of that. They're, they're always the authority having jurisdiction, at least in Ontario, again. Um, I know in Saskatchewan, um, they're, uh, it, it's uh, delegated to the fire department as opposed to the, uh, as opposed to the police. Uh, so it's a little bit different out there. But regardless, 911 is your first, your first call, uh, and they will, they will kind of take charge of the, of the overall operation. No, I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Like nine one one, or if you happen to know, you know, your local police detachment phone number, you can you can call them too. But nine one one's easy. Well, and, gets and, it other, and just just one misnomer to clear up. Um, you you know you hear it on TV a lot. They say you have to wait forty eight hours to report somebody missing. You do not. Nope. And if you wait forty eight yeah. hours, you're a fool. Um, yeah. Because chances are that bad things have happened to them already especially in adverse weather conditions. As soon as somebody's missing and you've made your phone calls and you know they're missing, get the emergency services rolling. Yeah. Yeah. I think yes, no. No. Time, time is the number one enemy. Anybody that has yeah. a daughter would not be waiting 48 hours if the kid yeah. was missing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, especially like, you know, there's maybe some times where you wouldn't call it in immediately, immediately. But even on those ones, like it's still better safe than sorry. But like if it's definitely like a, a kid or somebody that's you know elderly or, or not doing well physically or mentally, that the sooner you call that in, the better. And then the higher rate you have of it being a a rescue and not a recovery. So we we work on we work on a pretty general principle that that a missing an average person um, will go anywhere from two to four kilometers per hour on foot. So the longer you wait the bigger the search radius and therefore the lower probability of detection. So the, 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 the sooner we can close in that search radius, yeah. the better off we are, right? So two and a, so so if somebody can walk, you know, call it an average of three kilometers an hour. If you wait 48 hours, uh, what's 48 by three is, uh, what, almost 400 kilometer radius. That's like London to Toronto that, we're, that yeah. we could potentially have, uh, potentially have somebody missing. Uh, that's a big area to search as opposed to if you've got two or three hours, then yeah. we can bring that in. We can bring that down really quickly. And, and I mean, the people that are missing can generally walk faster than the people that are searching because to do a meticulous search, as we'll get into later, takes some time and some thought and to do it in a way that you make sure that you cover an entire area because you can't miss places because the person could be hiding there. Yep. Or under a log or whatever. Or under a log or up yeah. in a tree, right? Yeah. There's, there's yeah. lots of lots of variables again. So yeah, search does not happen at three kilometers per hour, but travel no. happens at three kilometers per and hour. And then, I mean, if you need to get in dogs or you know visual trackers, 
the sooner they can get on the track, the more fresh it is, the easier it is to see, and you get more of that fresh sign rather than like, well, I'm on a track that's a week old now, so how reliable is it? How easy is it to see? And things like that. So the sooner you can get on it, the better chances you have in general. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, so don't, yeah, definitely don't wait. Uh, if somebody's missing and you can't reach them and they're not, they haven't turned up where they're supposed to be, then, um, yeah, if you're, you know, if you can't, if you can't find them for any reason, it's a good, it's a good, good idea to get them, uh, get emergency services rolling. Like again, that's it, the difference between a rescue yeah. and a recovery. Well, yeah, and it usually takes, a, I mean, even the most responsive team takes a little bit to get ready and mobilize. Absolutely. Yeah. So if I make the phone call to 911 and uh, need to get somebody found, uh, how do you guys get the call that you need to, you know, get go to work, so to speak? Well, every everything, every every team and every police department and every search is going to be a little bit different. Um, so generally, the way it works is that the police will go and take their initial report, uh, or whoever the authority having jurisdiction is. I'm going to say I'm going to use the police here because we're yeah. in Ontario, and that makes sense. So whoever the authority is, so the police are going to go. They're going to take their report. They're going to decide that this is a um, this is a search, and they're going to stand up whoever their search manager is. Um, the search manager will then decide, based on the information they have, whether or not they need additional ground resources. It might be right if there's a if there's a um, you know, the, the, if there's a, a missing vehicle and a missing person, the chances of us needing a ground team are pretty slim. They're they're probably they're yeah. probably somewhere well outside our, our ability to walk. Um, but if there's you know if there's a pair of shoes missing but no vehicles missing, that person probably left on foot, and that's that's the time that that we'll get that the search team will get called. Uh, every search team is probably a little bit different in how they do it. Uh, there are a whole bunch of different software apps that can be used. Um, I am responding as one, who's responding as another. Um, the team that I'm part of uses a, a, a management system, management software platform called D4H. Which, that's, uh, that's the same one that we use. Yeah, and I think most most teams in Ontario use that because yeah. it's it, um, the Provincial Volunteer Association has a license that we can make use of. Um, and so that uh, um, that allows us to track our like it allows us to track our, our, our inventory yeah. as well as our people. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty it's pretty handy. It's, yeah, it's pretty diverse. It's a pretty it's a pretty broad spectrum broad spectrum app. Um, so that's how we get it. Um, and then our 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 liaison officer um, who kind of carries the phone from that the the police have. So they'll have one phone number to call, uh, and our liaison officer will have that phone, and they send out a they send out a um, uh, I call it a tone, right? We get uh, um, we get called when we get called out. We get simultaneously a phone call, a text, and an email. So at least one of those things is getting through. Uh, it's all pre-recorded, so it's just a typed message. But um, the way we do it is that we um, uh, we get the first call that says we've been we're, we're being given an assignment that gives us an opportunity to mobilize, get dressed, get our get our gear, top up our water, uh, and then usually within 15 minutes we'll get actual details of it so we've we've got the we've got our local constabulary trained well to call us first and say we're not sure exactly what we need but we definitely need you um and that gets us get that gets people rolling so because we like we respond within about 150 kilometers so it might not be in our town it might be out of town we have people that live out of town um it can take some time to get there so the, the again the sooner we're being called out the sooner we're assembling the sooner we're out on our tasking looking for those clues and advancing what we call the last known point of that person. 
Yeah, uh, and our, our system is almost identical to that. We, you know, we get a, a message saying like, hey, um, person's missing, you know, stand by to stand by. So like start getting all your stuff together and like who's going to be able to make it. And we'll get like a an approximate location, like just so we know roughly how far away we need to be. Uh, and then sort of as things develop, we'll either, you know, get, get stood down where they're like, oh, never mind, we found the person. Or like we're, you know, we're sending in a different team first and you guys are the, the second wave for when they get tired. Or like, okay, yeah, we need you. We need you now. Go to the staging area. And then once we get to the staging area, you'll get all of the details and where you need to be because we don't want everyone rushing to the last known location and obliterating evidence so we have staging areas where we go we meet we get our assignment and then we make sure that we go in the correct way i feel really yeah. old now that i mentioned the word pager at the beginning of this but <laughs> my i still i still carry a pager for our fire department oh really yeah absolutely I wasn't sure they, they still had a pager network out there yep no well, so they, ours uh, is ours is radio it's basically yeah. radio receiver uh, but but hospitals those, those will still use pagers too because the doctors don't want cell phones; they just want a pager. Yep, they just want to be able to read it. They don't want to have to answer anything. It, it, that and the, like the the doctors still get those old like those old school yeah. like text pagers yeah. that just shows that just shows a text message. But no, we uh, we absolutely we use we use radio pagers. And it's just a one way like it's just a receiver, right? So it's yeah. programmed on a uh, um, program to receive on our frequency, and then whenever the tones drop, you'll either hear it through a radio if you're nearby or. Um, in a pager, but yeah, th those absolutely still exist. That's not uh, uh, that's yeah. not that bad. That's they're, not that dumb. Few and far between, but yeah, they're still out there. Yep. The average person would never use it, but certain things like yeah, situations yep. like this, or if you're on call in the hospital, because they'll just keep trading the pager off between the different doctors depending on who's on call. Mm -hmm. um, so is it? Is, oh, so go ahead. And like not that long ago, um, you know. There was a, there was a phone tree, and you like the the person the, the the liaison officer would call the first three people, and they would each be responsible for calling the people in their teams. Who'd each be responsible for calling the people in their teams? And uh, they it used to be we used we decided it was a maximum of five people, um, but each person could call five people effectively, and we could have the entire team notified in under six minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, we we just do yeah email text that kind of yeah. all goes out all at it once. All goes which, out all at once. Yeah, you can't forget anybody that way. Yeah. It's kind of annoying though, because like you'll be sitting there, and then all of a sudden your phone blows up because you're getting all of the things all at once. Yeah. But like they're usually staggered ever so slightly because it's like I have to click the send out email chain button. Now I click the send text button. <laughs> then the, you know, all the others you get ding ding yeah. ding ding ding. Yeah. But you can't miss it that way. Awesome. So I uh, assume you get the tones. Uh, is there an expected like response time for you guys? Like, you know, they expect you out the door in 15 minutes or is it more of like, yeah, show up whenever you can thing or how does it work? Well, obviously the sooner the better, um, depending yeah. on the nature oh, yeah. of the search, um, depending on the nature of the search, one, I mean, a few things happen, right? One, there's a lot to do overall. Like, so generally we'll go out, we try and break things down into, uh, into, um, like hour long taskings and sometimes they're longer and sometimes they're shorter, but we try and keep it about an hour. That's about how long people can stay on task before they got to come back and pee and have a coffee and maybe a snack depending yeah. on the time of day. But um, so if you're, if you're there and you're available for the first tasking, that's great. If you come a little bit later, you'll be worked into another, into a later tasking. Um, obviously we want as many people there 
as early as possible because we want to cover the most amount of ground in the shortest period of time because again the longer we wait the longer the, the wider the search area the less the lower our probability of detection um but it will happen i mean we, i've been on searches that are you know three 24-hour periods and right. you know we uh we've you know so if if you can't get there for the first one then we absolutely need fresh bodies later anyways um so it's not advantageous to have the entire team show up for the first one and then everybody's exhausted and can't yes. come out to the second one so um for think for reasons like that it's you know it, it's good a to have a big team but it's it's not necessarily um you know some searches are an emergency right somebody who's been missing for for you know an hour, somebody who walked out the door and said that they were gonna they were gonna go harm themselves. That's an emergency. You need to be there right here, right now. Yeah. Um, somebody who's all been at once. Yeah. Somebody who's been missing for a week, and we're gonna go clear an area and make sure they didn't sit down underneath a tree and not stand up. Um, probably less yeah. of an emergency. Still urgent, but not necessarily what we call an emergent situation. Yeah, we kind of try to like if we if if we're not sure if it's a rescue or. You know, a recovery will treat it like it's a rescue. If we're pretty sure it's a recovery, um, you've got time to like get people there. So you're like, you know, be, be there at this time tomorrow. We're going to organize a search and like you've got all the time to get your grid sorted and do all of the like the planning stuff to do it in a nice, easy, methodical way. You've got that extra added time because. Yeah, you're. It's not so urgent anymore. Hmm. You're, that makes you're, sense. You're, you're trying to find closure for the family more so than anything else at that point, right? So, hmm. all right. So, uh, is it kind of like the movies where you get the the line of people kind of going across through the bush and, and everything else in a, in a in a nice slow pattern, or how do they like, how do they yeah. coordinate search generally? So there there are. <sighs> Five or six different, um, different kind of common methods. Um, again, the needs of the the needs of the uh, that that particular operation will dictate how we do it. Um, if we're searching for evidence, like we've done evidence searches where we're looking for a bullet casing in a in a in a wheat field, and we're you know we're literally crawling yeah. hands and knees, shoulder to shoulder, sweeping every square inch of a of a hundred acres. Um, We'll we'll do a few things. Uh, again, it depends on the it depends on the terrain. It depends on the scenery. It depends on the the what we're looking for. Um, in in general, you want to be able to see the person next to you. So we'll kind of we have what's called a critical space where um, you you where the person next to me and I would both be able to see something between us. And the denser the bush, the closer we are together, the wider the field, the, the, the further apart we can kind of get, uh, again, depending on what we're looking for. Um, we can also do a hasty search, which is, you know, uh, this person went, in, went up this, uh, you know, went up this trail in a remote area. Um, they were supposed to, you know, they went up for it's at 6 a.m. They usually come back by noon. Now it's 3 o'clock. They haven't come back. Um, we'll probably just run up the trail with like three or four people and we'll kind of flank out on either side so that we can kind of cover, you know, just off the trail in case you decided, you know, that person decided to take a nap uh, or they fell and they hurt themselves. They're not immediately visible, but we'll run up the trail kind of really, really quickly. Uh, we call that a hasty search. And I don't, I don't mean literally run, but I mean, we're not, yeah. uh, we're not breaking bush necessarily to, um, um, to find this person, but we are going to go, you know, we're going to search on either side of that trail as, as quickly as possible. And then, Again, depending on the circumstances, we might get into visual tracking, right? Where if we find, you know, we find a print from somebody, we can see where they've left the trail. Now we've gone from, 
um, we've gone down to like a three-person team or a four-person team where you're now searching like, you know, 15 feet wide at a time and you're only going as fast as you can find the signs, which could take seconds, it could take minutes, it could take, you know, half an hour, half an hour to move 10 feet in some sort yeah, of I mean, we, yeah, we, we pretty much do the same where it's depending on what exactly we're looking for and the, the terrain, you know, we, we run a line, we'll stagger it sort of on like a bit of a 45 degree angle um, with the front guy being the lead and sort of it all tapers off of him just so that you can see all around you kind of. Um, but it's all depending on spacing. So if we're just looking for a person and it's wide open terrain, then yeah, we'll space our people out. If we are looking for evidence or something small and it's, you know, tight, we'll bring everything in. But yeah, on a, on a hasty search, like Alan's saying, we'll, we'll have a couple of guys on bicycles or if somebody's got an ATV or something and you just like, while everyone else is sort of staging to get ready to do a proper grid search of some kind, whichever method you use, yeah, we'll send a couple of guys on bicycles or that are sort of, you know, fitter and faster to like, yeah, book it up that trail, you know, not like a sprint, like Alan's saying, but like faster than you can move through the bush just to make sure that like, yeah, they didn't just twist an ankle on the path, right? Mm, that makes sense. El eliminate the, the easy stuff quickly so that you can work on the other stuff. On our team, we call that the low-hanging fruit. We try and get rid yeah. of that stuff as quickly as possible. You know, eliminate the, eliminate the likelihood yeah. uh, or the likely spots because um, those, you know, again, that can be the difference. You know, it might take two hours to do a proper search up that trail or you know, three minutes, three, three to five minutes on your bike. And that can, that can be all the difference. Yeah. And, and for the most part, like, unless someone's actively trying to not be found, they're going to probably take the path of least resistance. Right. Well, I think Hughes touched on that too. Like you said, out in Nova Scotia, they had a bunch of like roads. So they, they actually justify the use of quads because the, with all the, the side roads they had, they could just go resorting up and down with the quads. And usually they found the guy right away on one of the, one of the side roads. It, yeah. You know, somebody turned left instead of right coming back, coming back down the trail and they just ended up on a different trail and couldn't find their way out. Right. Those are, those are the common ones. And that's where that hasty search is really easy where you can just stop and interview people as you go. Right. Hey, we're looking yeah. for a guy who's about five ten. He's carrying a red backpack. Have you seen him? Oh yeah. I passed him just down this trail, yeah. you know, 10 minutes ago. Right. We can, uh, you know, we can, we can often solve those problems pretty, pretty uh, yeah. expediently. Well, that, like if you did go for a hike and you're kind of lost and like, you know, you've got two options, go up the really steep hill or go down the hill on the sort of path that's there, which one are you going to pick, right? You're going to pick the easier of the ones because at least then you're not going to get more lost or tired or whatever, right? So yeah, unless you're actively trying to not be found, people are pretty predictable. Yeah. Yep. Um, just in order to make sure that you know, they don't increase the amount of people lost. Do you guys limit your searches to daylight only, or is there any sort of limitations like that? No, no. we do. Tw we do twenty four hours. Yeah. Um, frankly, it's it's often easier to search at night. Um, there's a lot less static. There's a lot less you know vehicle traffic. There's a lot fewer pedestrians. There's uh, there's a lot less interaction. There's a lot less um, uh, just a lot less going on. So you're you're able to focus a little bit better on on your task at hand. Um, of course, there are some. There are some uh, downfalls to that, but we're never going anywhere alone. Uh, yeah. It's like search, search is a team; it's a team sport. Always is, no matter what. Um, yeah, and we're we're always within eyesight of somebody on either side of us, 
and we've all got whistles, we've all got, you know, radios, we've all got flashlights. So it, it's not that we couldn't get lost, it's just very difficult, right? And there's a very strict sign in and sign out. Uh, no one is allowed to take their car keys or their wallet into the bush. That all gets left at the command post when you sign in and sign out. Good incentive. No, nothing worse than dropping your keys in the bush in the middle of nowhere in the nighttime. Yeah. yeah so you to, and then you have to go and find that again. You have to go do that yeah. whole job a second time. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's no, there's no leaving the site without signing out because that's how you get your keys back. So it's not like, oh, wait a minute. Where did Alan go? Right? Like it's, he's told somebody or you go to the thing and you look in the command post and it's like, well, his keys are gone and he signed out. So he's probably left. Okay. He's not yeah. lost. Yeah. As opposed to, yeah, there's, you know, there's a, there's a set of keys here and not a person. So, yeah. And, and I mean, and anything that you do could end up becoming some sort of legal process, right? So everything needs to be documented thoroughly while it may not start out that way. Right. It might just be like little Jimmy is lost. It could unfortunately go very poorly. And now all of a sudden, you know, you need to be interviewed by police for what you find or anything. So everything is documented as to who's there exactly when you started exactly what section you searched, what time did you leave? Always bring a spare pair of shoes and clothing so that if you needed to turn in anything as evidence, you can do that and you're not driving home in your underwear. Yep. Fair enough. Uh, actually, on that note, did, did, when you guys are out searching, do, do they have like the low jack on you? Like, can they see a GPS representation of everybody searching around, or like what kind of tools do you use? So we we use a GP, So we use GPS. I, I imagine most most pro, yeah. most police have the same thing when they use a. There's a um, uh, an evidence tracking program. It's called QV7, um, and I don't know. I've never worked with it, but I, I'm, I'm aware of it on a high enough level to know that uh, essentially what happens is we take our we take our GPS units and and um, we start at, we start our track at the um, you know at the starting point that we're assigned. We use them at least on the flanks. Uh, and usually one in the middle if we don't have one on every person. Um, we go, we do our assigned, we, we search our assigned area, we stop the track, we take it back to the command post, we turn them in. That information is then added to their added to their incident map and they can you can literally see the overlays of where everybody searched and um, when it was searched and who was on and who was on it. So there's there's a lot of documentation that goes into that. Yeah. Uh, so they the don't same. necessarily see it in real time, but we see but they, they see it kind yeah, of it is there. It's it's by the, by the, by the time we're by the time we're you know back and pouring our coffee, uh, the information of where we've been has been you know done in a way that we can see the gaps where we haven't searched yet. Yeah, we we do the same. Although we're we're not quite as well funded, so it's only the the team leader that's got a GPS. But I I have my own that I always run independently of that as well, just so that I know where I've been should I ever need to know. Yeah, and like yeah. we get we get those assigned to us usually from the uh, well we've got a bunch on our own team but uh, yeah uh, we bought the same models that the uh, that the that the local police use that we work with most um, so we'll get well if we don't have enough of ours we use theirs yeah yeah where we do most of ours the the local police is uh, smaller than the team that we're on so we the team has their own GPSs but it's the same thing it basically comes back to the command post at the end they put it in plug it in put it on the map 
and you can see exactly where you've been and if you've deviated so that if we need to go back and research an area, we know where we were and where we didn't because sometimes there, you know, there's dense bush in an area and you have to shift left or right or whatever to get around it because you can't really get through it easily, you know, and you can go back and you can see all of that stuff. Yep. Cool. Well, with the fancy stuff like uh, the helicopters, drones, dogs, all that stuff. Helicopters, yep. absolutely. Um, are, are around here, it's OPP that have the helicopters. Uh, I'm sure more yeah. like bigger bigger municipalities might have their own. Um, but uh, around here, it's it's helicopters. We've seen them on our we've seen them on our searches before. Um, dogs, uh, they exist for search capacities, but they are usually pretty limited, uh, mostly because they're they're really expensive to 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 yeah. buy, train, and maintain. Like really, really expensive. Um, it's a it's a huge time commitment of of the of the handlers and the trainers. Uh, there's a lot of documentation required to show that this dog is going to be an effective tool. Uh, and then, like as as you know, Gavin kind of mentioned earlier about funding. Like search and rescue teams in Ontario are are, are volunteer and self funded. So yeah, I mean, there's some you know, stipends that are given from the government, but it's like, here's your hundred bucks for the year. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, we mostly, we, we, we mostly get a tax credit if we put in enough hours. Um, yeah. But the, uh, um, 200 hours for those of you in Ontario that are looking to join for another yep. reason. Yeah. Yep. It's two, 200 hours. You get a $3,000 tax credit. Um, yeah. but it's, uh, like, so everything we do is either, uh, we either get a grant, there are some provincial grants, there's some national grants, uh, yeah. or it's fundraising through private sector. So in order, like the, the, the cost associated with maintaining a dog like that, I mean, those dogs are probably a year, a year of constant training before they're even ready to be certified. And then once they are there, it's, I think I, I read somewhere and I don't, don't quote me on this for sure, but I read somewhere that's, I guess, 10 hours a month of training that they have to put in. Yeah. In we, we were fortunate and we had one, one art on our team and man, does it ever make a difference? Like they can pick up a scent when you're like, there's no way <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah, unfortunately they, that, the, the handler that, that ran it moved away to the U.S. and I mean, unfortunately, his uh, his canine passed away recently as well. But I mean, when when he was out there, it was most of the searches ended before I even got there because that's how good the dog was. Yeah. So it can really really help, but but they're they are but they extremely are, cost prohibitive. Yeah. There there's there's a lot of there's a lot of funding that goes into that. Yeah. Um, and there's and there's a lot of um, I know again from my previous job we would tell people. If somebody's missing, don't send a dozen of your relatives out and run around everywhere and try and look for them because all you're doing is contaminating the scene. Yeah, and yeah. even if you get a dog out there, that, if you've done that, that dog's not going to do anything. He's just going to yeah, go in circles because... Well, a lot of the time, the initial thing is not so much getting out there. It's it's main, like, it's handling the family, right? It's, it's yeah, making yeah. them stay put, not freak out and not do stupid things that are just going to make things more difficult for you down the road, which seems counterintuitive because they want to be out there to help. But you're like, no, no, it's not helping. Yeah, especially yeah. when they go out and now they're lost too. Yeah. It was, it's, it's always with the best of intention. There's, 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 yeah. there's no question of that. It's always with the best of intention, but there's, there's very, there's very few times when, when untrained yeah. searchers are actually helpful. Yeah. 
Um, and then drones, uh, as you as you asked, are, are becoming more and more prevalent. Um, they're yeah, great we, for accessing areas that you can't necessarily walk into. Um, but they are oh, again, they're they're really expensive to get the good ones and the ones that can actually you know transmit their transmit their signal reliably and it can be recorded and we can GPS tag it and all that stuff. So it's yeah, um, we we've got one. One of our volunteers just that that's his jam. So like he went out and bought one. So he's got one with the night vision and the thermal camera. And like, that's the cool. kind of thing when you want to do a hasty search, you let that thing rip down the path. And like yeah. it, yeah. as long as the thing that you're looking for is still warm, you'll find it. Yeah. As long as it's, yeah, as long as it's, it's warmer than ambient temperature, you'll see it pretty yeah. quick. Um, which is, yeah, they're, they're great and they're becoming more and more prevalent as the technology becomes more But yeah, again, it's, it's cost prohibitive, right? Especially yep. when, like, we don't get the government funding for all of the cool toys and stuff like that. I mean, it would be us awesome. showing up, we have to pay for our own gas, right? Like, so, as the gas price goes up, so the tea the coming out yep. becomes more expensive, right? But these people are still still doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. Yep. I don't know how they uh, they managed to do it out here because they they seem to have all sorts of command trailers and all sorts of equipment. BC is paid, I believe. Yeah, BC BC has a has a very different system because um, yeah. they've got a and because they're not but doing urban searches for the most part, right? They're, well, I guess with the mountains and the ocean, yeah. there's a lot more people that get lost, so or yeah. eaten or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's, on there's, that a, note. there's a lot there's a lot of differences between BC and Ontario. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell me about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, so on that note, if you guys are out in a search and either the search gets called off or they want to focus the search on something, you know, piece of evidence they found, how do you guys communicate back and forth when you're out in the field? We radios. so radios for sure. Um, yeah. We uh, we usually have we in in our in our experience we usually have a police officer with us because um, we're usually yeah. we're usually working in in you know urban or suburban areas. Um, and it's that's they're the authority having jurisdiction, so it makes good sense for us to be able to direct questions to them. Uh, that said, I've come across more than one situation where somebody was more than happy to talk to me about things, but not talk to the guy with the uh, with the with the shiny with the, with the blue hat. So um, yeah. that's uh, you know you kind of get the best of both worlds when we do, when we do that. So they usually run usually run command uh, their own comms on their frequencies. Uh, despite that, we have our we have our own radio net. Um, so yeah. again, you know, speaking about Ontario, cause that's what I can, you know, that's what I know about. Um, there is a provincial common frequency that is assigned to the, um, kind of the, the Ontario governing body. It's called, uh, OSARVA, the Ontario Search and Rescue Volunteer Association. Um, so we have, you know, that has its own channel. There is, I believe a national frequency. Um, so you have interoperability, but yeah. I, I don't know enough about that to, to have any kind of real opinion. Yeah. Like most of our, most of our guys, so we have like our team has a, has a bank of radios that we use. And then most of our guys have the, have the bow fangs that, uh, that we program with chirp to have those. Um, we also have, uh, have a stash of FRS radios, um, for, you know, smaller areas. They're lighter. They're a little bit easier to use. Um, and like my, my bow fang for search. So I have one dedicated to it cause I have a lot of radios. Thanks Eric. I got those at Rapid Survival, by the way. Uh, those uh, I have, I have one that I have one that's dedicated to my search pack, and it's like I programmed it with all the FRS and GMRS uh, frequencies, as well as our commons, uh, and a couple of other kind of common ones. Like St. John Ambulance has a has a provincial common frequency as well. So again, for interoperability, we have uh, um, I have yeah. the programming for those. 
Yeah, our, I mean, our radios are set up more or less the same. Um, we've got like our own, you know, team frequencies uh, where we are uh, in, in Peel. They're nice enough to uh, give us a few of the frequencies that they don't use. So we have our own for our team. Uh, but then the teams that we work with frequently, we have their stuff programmed in as well. Um, and yeah, we'll usually have, you know, when we run a search, it's going to be us on our team. And then if it's something where we think we might need a cop, they will put, you know, like a probie or something with the team that has the police radio. And then he radios it into the, you know, the higher ups if something, you know, you're looking for evidence or something, right? He'll be the guy that calls it in. And then their guys will be like, all right, yeah, you know, flag it or bag it or whatever you need to do. And then he'll be the one that's responsible for actually handling the evidence so that we don't have to touch it in most cases. Fair enough. Uh, so the Volunteer Association of Canada, like the Search and Rescue Sarvac yeah. frequency, I guess it is. Um, I'm assuming it's not encrypted so people can just listen on a scanner or whatever or on their bow fangs just as long as they don't transmit. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And I don't, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it would be really nice to not transmit on that because, especially while we're operating, yeah. that would, uh, that would be, great. be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't think anyone really does. I mean, that would have to be like a, a major search where you're pulling teams from, from all Multiple over. provinces. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's it. We get, go, yeah. We get Look requests on pretty, 52, right? Like, yeah. we get, we get, we get asked pretty regularly to, 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 like standby to be deployed. Actually, a couple of our members went up to uh, um, went up to a, a remote community in northern Ontario for um, for kind of a joint operation there a few weeks ago. Um, they they had some uh, some ongoing ongoing issues in that community, so they needed some they needed extra bodies. Um, yeah. So we had a few of our people go up, and a couple of our people and a couple from one of our neighboring associations. And um, yeah, so the, having having that interoperability is important. It doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but um, like yeah. we've had, you know, we've sent we've sent our people all around the province down to, uh, you know, to Ottawa. We've sent them to Toronto. We've sent them down Niagara, up to you know, up as far as Algonquin Park in the in the north, and and then more yeah. recently up towards uh, that was up north of Thunder Bay where that that last deployment was. So um, it it does it does happen. Um, so having that interoperability is good. But yeah, it, it, things would have to go go really yeah. really really badly if we're pulling in from other provinces, which isn't to say that yeah. it can't happen. It's uh, just the coordination on that, and the and the cost versus benefit may not be uh, um, may not be there. Well, and so I mean, one of the nice things is that um, teams are starting to standardize and stuff like that. So, like, there is a course you can take incident management systems, and so like, if you are planning to get into this and you are on a team, you should probably do that because there is a system that's standardized more or less across North America that like all of the emergency people need to know. So that way, when you're talking for joining our team, we won't even look at the application if you don't have that certificate. Yeah, so you know you should you should take that. Um, it's a free it's course. Free, uh, free, yeah. I'll put, I'll At put least level sure. one is free. After you go up, you got to kind of pay for it and stuff like that, depending on where you are. But like, you, you should have the basics. Course. Yeah. Hmm. It really helps for that interoperability, so that like when you go to a place, you're all using the same language and you know what you're talking about, and not just like, you know. We do the thingamabob, and they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" So, 
Fair enough. I think you guys pretty much touched on it, but you know, if it does turn into a recovery or if you stumble across a body or whatever, is there some sort of protocol in places to preserve the evidence or to keep a distance from it or how does it work? Don't touch it. Yeah. Stop where you are. Call the police. The minute that you spot it, stop. Call it in. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. But, and that, that uh, applies to evidence as well too, right? Like yeah. they they might, you know, if there's evidence, right, somebody, we, we find a jacket, that would be a great time to get a dog involved. Um, if there's one available, yeah. so if we if we start touching it and playing with it and, and moving it around, whatever, right? Um, we cause all kinds of extra problems. We contaminate the evidence. So um, rule number one is don't touch it. Rule number two is refer to rule number one. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we 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 radio it in, and then we see what like every like the minute you think you see anything, you, you halt the line so nobody moves. Yeah, and then you kind of look and go. Okay, and then you know, hopefully you've usually got a photo of the person that you're searching for, or a description, or something. The problem is that the descriptions are terrible usually and not accurate at all. But on the one that I did recently, we had a photograph of the person sort of right before they went missing from a security camera, and we found uh, a pair of sunglasses in, in the area that we were searching. You know, and I, I'm the one that spotted them, so it's like instant halt you know i uh i carry uh kebaba sticks with me uh, as alan knows what those are they're just little like flagging sticks and I, I put one down you know not on it but like close to where that is and i tag the gps location so i know where it is and i can relay that information as i'm waiting for the you know the cop to radio it into his guy you know and he like takes a picture of it and sends it to the guy and they're like okay yeah no those are not um the ones that we're looking for like so you can just ignore those so then like i pulled my stick and like away we went but like had those been maybe a little bit closer or whatever then like they might want to bag those for evidence so like you know we flag it we mark its gps location and like give it a wide berth and then we can keep going on or whatever but that's kind of the like Everyone stop, don't move, wait for instructions, and, and you know, go from there. Hmm. So out here, they always talk about, like, hikers uh, are supposed to file a trip plan with a responsible person and everything else. Is there, like, a standardized, like, I've never seen a form or anything like that. How does that work for uh, filing there, a plan? There, there is. I mean, there's no yeah. requirement. There's, hmm. there's well, good ideas. If you go uh, to that would... provincial park that's really, really, really far north where you have to fly in, you're required to file a trip plan because you're in the middle of nowhere. Other yes. than that, there's no requirements, basically. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, but there are there are best practices that we know, and we've we we know this. This is one of yeah. those uh, one of those kind of standards that's written in blood because we've we've experienced this, uh, and we put that into a really fun and easy to use program called Adventure Smart, uh, which wow. starts out with the younger kids as hug a tree of. You know, I just happen to be an adventure smart instructor, so you, know, uh, you can hire me for <laughs> kids' parties, and we can teach them to hug a tree. Yep, exactly. So there's there's uh, adventure smart is a um, there's there's a whole series of um, whole series of, of programs you know for specific outdoor pursuits, whether it's um, just kids or uh, just you know kids wandering off, or whether you are a paddler or a snowmobiler or a hiker or a you know backwoods. Yeah paraglider whatever right there's all kinds of options to um 
all kinds of options for for training. Um, so it's a really good idea to, to at least be aware of those programs because it will tell you about um, the basics of, you know, the, what do we call it, the three T's, right? Take the basics, trip planning, and taking the essentials. Um, yeah. Taking the essentials, training, and trip planning. Yeah. Anyways, um, but, set a, but set a standard, right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to follow this route. It's quite another thing to say, I'm going to check in at these waypoints, and I expect each leg to take four hours. And if you yeah. don't hear from me by, you know, three hours after my check-in, then we're going to start the emergency protocol. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even just like, I mean, having done a bunch of like solo hikes and, and even, you know, with some friends and stuff like that over the last while that have been a little bit more adventurous and physically demanding. It was, you know, here's the route that I'm planning to take. This is how long it should be. And just sending it to friends of mine, you know, or, or you know, the parents or your significant other, whoever is going to like be worried about you is a heck of a lot more than the average person does. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, I mean, the good news is it looks like a bunch of people out here, uh, judging by the amount of tree huggers we have, they obviously took that course to heart. So, yes. You know. Yep. Yeah, no. <laughs> Absolutely. They're, hugging a tree can, can be, can you know, you can take it too literally, yeah. but that's, you know, something different entirely. <laughs> yeah. So, assuming things go sideways uh, and you can't find any evidence, any person, any body, um, what, at what point do they call it and say it's time to give it up? It, it there are, yeah. again, a lot of factors involved in that. How long that person was missing, if we have any clue as to where they were um, yeah. or what direction they traveled. Um, if they want to be found, right? If, if somebody, if somebody's trying actively to not be found and that often goes back to, uh, um, the, uh, we do what's called a missing person profile. Um, that goes back to that interview with the family and, um, uh, is this person trying to not be found? And if that's the case and we can't find them, then, uh, they'll, they'll more likely call off that search in a, in a, in a more expedient fashion, as opposed to somebody who was just out for a day hike and was planned, you know, had dinner plans that night that they didn't show up for. Um, we'll probably keep going on that. Like I've been yeah. through, I've been through, through searches that take, you know, three operational periods, right? three 24 hour periods. Um, and we're going for, you know, we're going for eight, 10, 12 hours in each of those periods. Um, trying to find this person because we don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, it, there's it, so many, there's so many variables in that weather. Like if it's terrible, terrible weather and it starts threatening the team safety, you'd call it off. Yeah. Right. If it's, beautiful out and you could go for you know hours and hours and hours with no problem you might be out there you know until you've searched an entire area and can definitively say that that person is not there mm -hmm. right because everything is a, a best guess right like you, you take all of the data that you've got about the person and where they were last seen and what direction they were heading and what they were wearing and all of this and then it's you kind of take your best guess as to what area they're in and you start there and then you kind of work your way out from there in sort of some sort of methodical way so that at the end of it you can go well we've looked everywhere that's reasonable including a few places that aren't and they just aren't there yeah well we we had one up uh up our way a few years ago for uh, an elderly lady with some mental capacity issues that walked away and uh, she was seen on video surveillance at a house walking by and uh, they searched for three days and called it off. Of course, the family was mad, but they said she's she's an elderly lady. She wasn't dressed yeah. for the conditions. 
the temperature got really cold. We've been at this for three days. We've given it everything we've got. The chances of us finding her alive are, yeah. are, are and as it turned out, um, once the spring came, she was found laying beside a creek of our golf course that was eight kilometers away. Yeah, I mean, you know, much kind of like we, we joked earlier, and this is not in a joking way, but like, you know, it's expensive to do these things, right? The gas price alone, right? So you've got to screen your, you know, your response calls. You also have to screen all of the things and manage your resources. You've only got so many people and so much time and so much of everything. How much are you going to devote to that, to looking for somebody that doesn't want to be found? or looking for somebody that's chances of survival are not that great anymore. I, I mean, it's we did, we did the, bad, we did the math on, on one, on one search and this, this person ended up being found. Uh, well, he ended up coming home. He, he'd uh, taken off for the weekend and didn't tell anybody. Um, but we were out for three days. Um, police overtime, uh, OPP helicopter got involved. Uh, we had called, we had, we had all of our people out and we had, we'd called, uh, one of our one of our local kind of sister organizations, um, we did the math, and we're that's that particular search ran up about a hundred thousand dollars. Ouch! Just 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 in just in labor and uh, labor, you know, fuel spent on generators because there's you know there's there aren't like plugs we can just plug a you know plug a command post into. So we're running generators for that. Uh, fuel spent, but we had to feed, you know you got to feed the troops. You've got you know calling in the helicopter like helicopters. Yeah, they run that alone is going to add an hour. Yeah, yeah. That's, by the by, the time it shows up to the scene, you're probably ten thousand dollars into it, right? So that money is very well spent, right? The human yeah. the human life is completely priceless. Like nobody's nobody's objecting to that. It's just putting into context how much time are we like how much how what yeah. kind of resources are we actually putting into this when we don't know where the person is? We've exhausted the reasonable probability of finding them. Um, and the chances of them still being, you know, the chance, the chances are either that they are, um, they are no longer, they're no longer, you know, on, on this plane of existence, or they have found a place to hunker down for a few days and we're not going to find them. They, you know, they're staying with a friend and they're going to show up when they show up. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, at that point, yeah, they're either, they're fine or you'll find them eventually when, yeah, the weather turns or something. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of, you know, a, you know, Usually by the third day, we're getting into that scenario. Now that's that's all weather dependent, right? Right now, where it's you know it's it's twenty five degrees during the day and fifteen degrees at night, you know somebody's not freezing to death. So three or four days out in the woods is not unreasonable for somebody to survive, right? That Especially would, that if would that person was out on a camping trip anyways and had all of the things they needed to survive, they just took the wrong path or they twisted an ankle or something, right? Like, exactly. So that might that might keep a search up for for weeks potentially. Um, as opposed to um, somebody yeah. who walked away in their, you know, in their jammies and slippers, and it's minus thirty-five outside, right? Those, yeah. So the, all all of those factors are going to play a big, um, are going to play, you know, play huge into the decision as to when we when we change and and the searches, you know, the ground search might be called off, but the, the case doesn't close, right? Um, yeah. If you follow any any police. Uh, any police department's Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram, like they put out appeals every day, missing person looking for, missing person looking for, and they provide as much information as possible. Um, those, those things keep going. Um, or, right, you might have that missing kid from Hamilton that I put in the news, right? They would have been searching for him in Hamilton for a while. 
all of a sudden he's found in Ottawa. So the ground team in Hamilton is obviously going to be called off because we have new information. We don't need to be searching here anymore. Right. So that it, it, all of those, all of those things play, play big factors into how that search is managed. Um, and when the, when the ground search is terminated. Yep. That, and I mean, you know, unfortunately there's also like the social factors that play into this and like how prominent is this person in the community and things like that as to like, how much attention the case gets and everything. I mean, that was the last one that I was on was that like, we didn't get on the track until a month after they'd been missing. You know, the, the local police were, you know, putting out the, their notices every day, but their resources are limited. There's only like three people on, you know, duty at any given time. They can't devote the time. You know, then eventually, I guess the the squeaky wheel got the grease and, you know, got things mobilized where they called in, you know, the the auxiliaries and they partnered up with us and we went out and, you know, we we were successful in our recovery. But like that took a month to even get something out there. There was an initial search, but, you know, the the person was known to be be an addict and, you know, known to not want to be found. Um, I think we covered our most of your points there, Alan. But you wanted to get, do you guys want to talk quickly about tracking? Yeah. So Gavin yeah. and I have both uh, we've both taken training in uh, what's called visual tracking. Um, if you ever watch the show Man Tracker, it's kind of the same concept, although that show was pretty terrible. But uh, <laughs> it's not uh, accurate at all. Not not even not even a little bit. But uh, there's but a the, lot more time. Most, most shows have nothing to do with reality, anyways. Uh, absolutely yeah. correct, Jeff. Um, but yeah, so. It, the, the reality is that with every kind of with every step that we take, we are we are leaving signs of our existence. Um, the general rule is, uh, you know, an average adult uh, will leave somewhere between twenty five hundred and three thousand signs per kilometer traveled. Um, the denser the bush, the more sign there is. Uh, the shorter your steps, the more sign there is. Uh, and so it's a, it's a really really fun process learning how to. Um, how to pick up that sign, how to identify it. Um, you know, my, the, the course that I was on was, uh, was three days. And by the, by the third day, we were looking at the stuff we did on the first day and you could see, you know, we could kind of learn the, you know, learn how things age. Uh, there'd been some rain overnight. So that really, that added a little bit to the, um, to the challenge, but also showed us, showed us some different things. But, um, if, uh, you know, if, if you, if you decide that you're going to go out into the woods and, and you think that maybe, you know, getting lost as a possibility, do yourself a favor and spend three bucks before you go, get, get some flagging tape. Um, you can get that at Canadian Tire. You can order that from from Amazon. I think you can even buy it at Princess Auto. It's, it's, it's cheap. It's really easy to come by. Leave yourself some flags. A, you're more likely to be able to find your way back. B, it makes our finding you so much easier. Yeah, it's way easier to find that like hot orange or pink flagging tape and see which direction you were heading than trying to find yep. Your, the pattern of your soul of the boots that you and every other hiker on that trail has, but also like step in some dirt and take a picture of it and send that to your friends so that like, at least we have that. Cause like yep. so many times you ask them, do you know what shoes they had? I don't know. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, if, if, you know, I know what, I know what my, what the soles of my boots look like because I went through this program, but uh, until I did that, I had, you know, 
the the concept <laughs> of doing think, that was yeah you wouldn't think you wouldn't think to look at it. like i knew that you know if you go if you if you go and you ask the right people the right questions there are databases of yeah. of, of of shoe treads but uh like one of the things that i learned is that if, you know even the same shoe made in a different factory will have a slightly different tread pattern and then of course all the ways that you walk will will wear it a little bit differently so so there's so many variables with with how to find your track um the longer it takes a tracking team to get involved in this um the worse it is yeah. the the further so this is we definitely have why like we were saying earlier like you need to get on this asap you especially yep. need to do that when it's like guys that are doing like either dog work or visual tracking because yeah stuff finding, changes yeah yeah finding finding that track finding that track and getting on it is is um can can be a real challenge uh and then once you're on it like being able to being able to keep it up um it's fun frankly i i loved it it was uh, it was a good time yeah. it's exhausting because uh, no. again, and, and like we said earlier, like the, the a person walks at you know an average of three kilometers per hour. When I'm tracking, I'm crawling on the ground. I'm absolutely yeah. not doing three kilometers per hour doing that. Yeah. Um, and we're you know we're you know we're operating like forty five minute, um, you know forty five minute increments before we're taking you know before we've got to take a break and reset. Um, which is, you know, it it slows down the process, but it's it can be really really accurate when it's done properly. So, um, I mean, it, it is like when you when you're doing it for fun, like like we were, Al, Al and I were fortunate yeah. to uh, have learned from the same person, but at different times and in vastly different terrains. I was down in Utah when I learned from this gentleman, um, but like the skills are the same, and it's just it's really fun because it's like that that challenge, right? And you're yeah. like when you're when you're on the track and you're like, oh, I know I'm on it. Like it is a an addictive feeling, right? Like you're yeah, just like, yes, thrill. I'm. Or when you're you're unsure because like you you've just gone over some terrain where it doesn't really trap footprints well, you know, like something that's just like a bunch of rocks. You're like, I can tell that they've been disturbed and the disturbances more or less line up with where their footprints should be and at the end of it there's a big puddle of mud and you look in it you're like yes there is that footprint there's i've been footprint tracking yeah you know things like that are incredibly satisfying oh it's a, it's a it's a great feeling um yeah. and, and, a, and a hugely valuable tool um but again it, it's it's yeah it takes it it takes a very specific set of circumstances in order for it to be useful and yeah. so the more, and, uh, I mean, the, more uh, the sooner we can get into it and the more detail we have by, you know, not having a whole bunch of people trample around the, uh, trample around the, the last known point, uh, the better off we are. Cause it, um, it, well, yeah, cause it you just, can completely obliterate the, the prints you're looking for in the area that you're looking. Cause you've trampled them or you've driven over them. Or in some cases you've set your bloody command post up over top of them. Right. Yep. But uh, even with guys that are running dogs, uh, a friend of mine in the U.S. that was down there and, and sort of helped run the course, um, he he's good at both. So he has a dog and that does the thing. But like, even being able to visually track, so when you do follow the scent and you come across something that will trap a footprint, it's that visual confirmation that you know that the dog is still on the right track as well, and you can go that much faster then because you're like, yep. Yeah, that's the footprint. Keep going. You know, so it's 
paired together, I mean, that is a, a massively valuable tool. Yep. Very, so it's, it's very cool. Assuming somebody wants to be found, uh, a couple quick pointers for people to be uh, more easily found. File a trip plan, number one. Yeah. Put waypoints in it. Set expectations with the person that you're filing this with. Um, it's one thing to say uh, they were, you know, they were planning a four-day canoe trip through Algonquin Park, and they were going to start here. They were going to start here and and there. Uh, it's quite another thing to say um, we're going to check in with our GPS location at the, you know, at every yeah. lunch break and every, and every time we we stop for the night. So yeah. that that narrows our that narrows the search area down rather significantly, uh, which well, again expedites the. What sites do you plan to stay at? You know, how do you plan yeah. to do it? The more information you can give, the better. Now, obviously, like sometimes that changes en route, and that happens, but it yeah. still helps narrow things down because they'll give you a most probable location, so they'll start looking there and then expand outwards. But yeah. Yeah, it, it it gives us it gives us a, a, a much better starting point than having to follow yeah. that exact route, right? If it's a four day trip for you, it's going to be a six day trip for us, and if we're already two days, you know, already two days delayed getting there, um, that makes life significantly more difficult for that person that we're looking for. Yeah. Um, stay put. That's that's like as soon as you realize you're lost, stop. Stay moving. put. Yeah. Like just just stop moving. Hug a tree and survive. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm I'm lost. I'm gonna post up right here. And, yeah. and don't try I, to find your way back. Just stop. Yeah, just I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right here and call for help. And it, it's you know is it is it a little bit embarrassing maybe to have to call for help and say um, say yes you know I'm I'm lost I don't know where I am maybe it is. What's really embarrassing is to die of embarrassment. Right? Oh, I had a buddy of mine. So he went down in an airplane four miles from the airport, and has an emergency location transmitter in the airplane. And uh, so literally everybody knows where he is via satellite. He decides to walk the four miles and he ended up walking 90 degrees off course from where he should have. They just happened to come across him by accident. Yep, exactly. In, right. in minus 40 weather. Yeah, like that, that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing happens, right? If, if, like, like, if we're looking for a plane crash... But stay plane, close to that area. Yeah. A plane crash. A plane crash is really easy to find. It's like it's like cars too, right? That's happened. That's happened yeah. before in cars, right? Car goes into the ditch. Um, this happened near me a few years ago. I remember. I remember this vividly. Um, car goes into the ditch in the winter. Um, it was snowing. The driver got out, and it was dark. He ended up walking through the field because he could see a house on the other side of the field. So he's he's walking kind of in line with the with this house. Um, it was, you know, minus thirty-five, and he wasn't uh, he wasn't dressed for the weather. He got about uh, about a quarter of the way across the field and collapsed. Jeez, yeah. Good Samaritan happened to be driving by, stopped to check on the car, saw the half-filled-in footprints, started following them, and found the guy. Yeah, stay, stay at least stay around point. the car. Like, yeah, probably stay, stay in the car because at least you're getting some protection That's, from the yeah. elements. Well, but if it's and, dangerous, yeah, go go enough away that you're no longer in danger. But well, that when people if, come to get that, then you can then you can yeah. make you can yourself yell. Know. Yeah. And uh, I had a case one one time. Um, my old job. You talk about stay with the car. Um, the weather was bad. All the roads were closed. Uh, individual decides they're they're in a town. They they were a, a waiter at a local restaurant. And they decided to, uh, going home anyways, 
uh, got to the main highway, which was closed. So instead of being smart and turning around and going back, they decided to continue on. They went down a side road, up another side road, and of course, hit a big snowbank and they're stuck. And I'm talking to them and I'm like, so you're prepared to be there for hours, right? Uh, you've got lots of gas. Well, no, my fuel light's on. And I'm yeah. like, okay, you, you, you have warm clothing, right? Well, no, I'm a, I'm a waiter. I've got like, like, like I, I've got my, my dressy shoes on and my, my light pants and, but I have a jacket and I have a toque. Yeah, that's, that's, Great. that's not going to yeah. And he, he, he almost did not survive. Um, two, uh, an off-duty OPP and an off-duty fireman had to go in in their personal sleds and uh, and get him. It took them over two hours to get in there and get him. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, like, try like that's, that's the number. One. Try to stand out. Like, don't yeah. don't wear the same clothing as everyone else. Don't have the same backpack as everyone else. Don't have the same tent as everyone else. The so, more obnoxious the color and easier to see, the better. Go back. But nobody to our wants Green to hear that because it's not cool, right? Yeah. Go go back to our Green Man episode and do the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. do the exact opposite of that, right? Opsec, like, ball it up, throw it in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah, and the yeah. the other the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, you know, there's been a few comments in the the chat there about well, send a picture to your friend or do this. If you've got a cell phone and you should have one and it should be fully yeah. charged, uh, you should have, especially if you're a frequent hiker or, or out on a trail, uh, you should have downloaded the What's Three Words app. Yeah. Um, basically what that does is um, it will pinpoint where you are uh, on the app. It will give you three words associated to your three meter square block. All of the local police services, some of the EMS have access to that database. You give them the three words that pop up and they're gonna know exactly where you are within three meters. Well, even the compass anywhere, app anywhere that in long, the world. Right? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. You can get that long off the compass app. So, I mean. Although yeah. really you should be using MGRS because it's a much finer system. Yeah. Although I guess, you know, some people still like antiquated things that you used when you were just trying to get from one continent to another. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I just picked so a random which, spot. Which one was that, Gavin? MGRS. The, the military grid reference? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or UTM. ATAC, Universal whatever. Transmercator Projection. Yeah. Not this, like, minutes and degrees nonsense. Nobody, nobody knows how to work with that. I do. So I, I, I just pulled up, what, three words, and I, I picked a spot near Ottawa just because it's where I landed there. And it gives me a location that says Leaked Competition Projection. And so if I were to call 911 and say, I am, you know, open what three words, I am at leaked competition projection. Instead of now, by any chance, it's not in, in any way, shape, oh. or form. It's a random spot. Oh. Um, it's that it, just would have that, been appropriate. <laughs> that, that would put like that would land emergency services within, you know, within 40 yeah. paces of me um, immediately. Yeah. As opposed to, uh, well, I left. I left Highway 401 at the Catesville exit, and I went north for a while, and then I turned left on uh, an old dog road. You know, the place with the yeah. big pies uh, in the summer, and then where the I turned, used to be. Yeah, and then I turned. <laughs> I turned right at that place where they had that cool dog that one time that I saw, and then I left my car, and now I walked. Uh, kind of northwest. The sun was at my back when it was setting, uh, and I'm not exactly sure where I am. 
and actually you bring up a good point on your notes there too. I was like, uh, a means to make noise. Like, I mean, cause you can only yell so much before your, your throat gives out, but if you could, you could blow a whistle all night long and blow a whistle all night long. Um, everybody, everybody saw Titanic like 400 times or was that just me? Um, she couldn't make she couldn't make any Still noise. Ever she could blow the whistle. Okay, yeah. so at at the end, a person is a person's like cold in the water and freezing to death. Pulls a whistle off a pulls a whistle off somebody and starts blowing the whistle as the as the uh, the rescue boats are coming. And so they were able to they were able to locate the live person as opposed to the dead people. Um, if you go to any boat show, any outdoor show, somebody it's usually the RCMP are giving away Fox Forty yeah. whistles. Yeah, have half a dozen of them around. Keep one within yeah. reach at all times. Um, yeah. Be be glow have sticks. the ability to make noise. Have the ability to be seen. Glow sticks are also great. Glow sticks are awesome, especially if you can put them on some paracord and fling yeah. them around, fling them around your head. Yeah, um, I mean, the universal like SOS, like anything that you've got in a pattern of three is yep. generally recognized as an emergency signal, and you know someone can spot that because, like, yes, there will three be times blasts, where you, you need shots. to like go and take a nap or like you're just tired or like you know there's a there's a big opening here that you can put like three piles of rocks or three fires or whatever it is in the opening but you may not want to be right in the opening you might want to be like a hundred feet back from that where you've got some shelter or you've built like a cooking fire or something right but it can be seen you know things like that yeah Anything yep. to make noise be seen. Absolutely. Those are, that's that's yeah. Be be able to be seen. Um, dressed to stand out. Like my my hiking pack has a um, has a like an orange like a like a, a fluorescent orange backpack cover in it. Um, yeah. It's waterproof, which helps keep my, my helps keep my kit dry. Uh, but more importantly, is that it is really visible. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we uh, anything we didn't uh, cover? Um, I think we covered everything. Like also, like if you're going out on a hike, bring a map. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and be prepared to be out overnight if you're going for a hike. Always, it, yeah. Always pack a little extra food or a little extra water or like. Even emergencies, just one of those don't happen. That packs up to nothing. It's yeah, emergencies don't happen to people who are prepared for them. Yeah, is the is the you maybe have that. an inconvenience? Yeah. Yes. And test your kit. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, podcast all this time. Get at least familiar with basic navigation or direction finding and a way of describing your position. What three words? Uh, map and compass, MGRS, whatever. Take an Adventure Smart program. Uh, and I also put a link in there for um, the ICS 100, the Instant Command System. Yeah, cool. All, all good stuff. Uh, upcoming events The annual Preppers Meet in Desboro, Ontario, July 7th to 10th. Um, Again, if you're looking for information, www.annualpreppersmeet.com. Cool. We also got TACOM happening September 9th to 11th, which I guarantee there's some free Fox 40 whistles there. Yeah. Uh, TACOMCanada.com. It's in uh, going to be in Mississauga. I'm assuming the International Center again. but From what I hear, that is correct, yeah. Oh. Jeff, do you have weather for us? I do a little bit. There was a chance of... Uh, 
potential severe thunderstorms today that kind of really didn't pan out. Uh, but uh, the uh, we're closely watching. Uh, this is from the instant weather, by the way, not me. Uh, closely watching models for uh, more than a week, and they're consistently demonstrating the potential for enhanced severe uh, weather environment next week in uh, deep southwestern and central Ontario. Uh, Monday night could see a fairly intense damaging windstorm. Uh, however, the strongest severe weather is trending to remain south of the border. Uh, nevertheless, we could see damaging wind gusts in deep southwestern Ontario between 7 p.m. and 2 a.m. on Monday night. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday all have the potential for severe weather. Uh, it's a little bit early to pinpoint right now, but Thursday uh, seems to be the day that the uh, atmosphere and the environment uh, has the best uh, widespread potential for uh, strong thunderstorms. Um, other models are saying it's Wednesday, Wednesday night. So Wednesday, Thursday, be prepared. Um, as soon as I know a bit more information, I'll uh, throw something up on the Discord. Uh, deal of the week. Uh, Cabela's has a one-person backpacking tent on sale. So if you need some really lightweight, affordable shelter, $29.99 is pretty much disposable at that price. It's regular 50 bucks, so it's, I guess, 40% off. And, uh, yeah, it's at Cabela's. I'll have the link there in the show notes momentarily. Uh, show notes. Alan, do you got a show note? Yeah, we'll shout out uh, Darren G. Uh, he met two podcast challenges and told us about it. Um, means for protecting the garden and amping up your fire protection gear and plans. Um, so that was uh, very cool. Thanks, Darren, for uh, for sharing that with us. We absolutely love to hear uh, what everybody has done for their preps. You can be as anonymous or as, um, as, as bold as you like. Tell us what you've got. If you want to come on the show and talk about it, we love, uh, we'd love to have you on as a guest. Um, so that was, uh, that was Darren way to go. Keep it up. All that great stuff. And, uh, uh, a shout out to, uh, Cam and Kobe from uh, casual preppers. We haven't aired it yet, but on Thursday we recorded a kind of a fireside chat with them. So that's uh look for that coming up in, uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll find a time to publish that. That'd be awesome. Actually, I'm too bad. I missed that one. Um, I got one for uh, Rooster Mark and Chris at the Ballistically Speaking podcast. It uh, it's gone through a couple name changes. Originally, it was gutting yeah, around. Those with guys Sean changed and John. their name more than I changed my underwear. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Formerly <laughs> gutting around with Sean and John, and become first focal plane podcast. Now it's Ballistically Speaking. But they did do a, a great little episode on uh, prepper uh, chat, like more like a preparedness minded kind of episode. And uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. So good for them. And uh, Mark, come on over, pop on here sometime. We'd love to have you. So. Anyway, or all three of them for that matter, but I just marks the prepper, it seems, of the group. So, um, with that, I'm going to bring episode 165 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the show, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. We absolutely love the comments in the chat. We like to we love the interaction. Uh, please, please, please get uh, get in here and uh, and chat with us. If you want to contact me directly, you can get me at Alan. That's with one L at PrepperPodcast.ca. Nice. Uh, you can mostly find me on the Instagrams or GTA, or you can find me with Ragnarok Tactical. And you can book us to teach you a land nav class so you can learn all about the latest and greatest when it comes to navigation and using a current system of navigation and not antiquated ones for boats getting from one continent to another. 
don't don't distill that long. Come on now. <laughs> and if you want to reach me, uh, you can just send a message to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Awesome. You can uh, reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find Gavin and I on Canadian Patriot Podcasts, uh, which is on iTunes and YouTube. We record Monday evenings back to 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'm on the Discord chat for both CPPs, so emails if you want an invite to uh, either Discord chat. There's about 200 people per, per channel, I think, now. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society makes you wish I could get lost in the bush if these guys weren't so good at finding me. Support your local search and rescue team. Get lost. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>